This year, Portland dropped its pursuit of controversial gunshot detection technology and further embraced more data-driven community outreach programs that focus on violence intervention. And so far, it appears they made the right move because even though we've had an uptick of shooting deaths this month, overall, our homicide rates for 2023 have dropped from last year's. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with Sierra Ellis, the program manager for Ceasefire, the city's latest comprehensive effort in reducing gun violence. It's a collaboration among the National Institute of Criminal Justice Reform, Portland's Community Safety Division, the Office of Violence Prevention, the Portland Police Bureau, and community-led organizations. Now, the city has already pledged more than $3 million to this program, and Sierra is going to walk us through what's been going on since its launch this summer. It's Monday, October 23rd. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. Sierra, thanks for making the time to hang out. Of course. Yeah, of course. We've had Lionel Irving, the founder of Love is Stronger, on the show. Like earlier in May, like right before, I think, Ceasefire launched. He heads one of the organizations that took part in the city's previous gun violence intervention initiative, Safer Summer PDX. I think he mentioned that he worked with you specifically. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So what makes Ceasefire different from previous city-funded gun violence intervention programs? Yeah, so ceasefire is more of a focused gun violence reduction strategy on the highest risk individuals um, through a data-driven process, whether that be victims or perpetrators of gun violence. And it focuses on them by offering them services. And on the other side, the focus enforcement piece with law enforcement. With other initiatives, you know, encapsulates all types of programming, like intervention, prevention, um, which is more broad. This is more focused. And so it really is supposed to drive those um, gun violence numbers down in the near term by getting at the folks and providing that support for them. Yeah, you know, I asked Lionel before we ended our convo, I was like, hey, if it was up to you, how would we move forward as a city, you know, addressing this issue? And he actually brought that up. He's like, you know, I would focus on the couple hundred of people that are actually doing this rather than just randomly stopping people and, you know, and maybe breaking ties with community by what appears to be harassing people that aren't really part of that problem. So it seems like that's something that the city is doing now. Do you think, I mean, is that something that you guys gathered by working with these more grassroots organizations or? Yeah. Yeah, so Ceasefire not only works with the grassroots organizations and organizations who are larger, right, and helps their programs grow, we also, this is a law enforcement component too. And so there are partners in this um, just as much as the grassroots organizations are. So it really takes all parties doing their job and really focusing on how we identify people and providing intensive case management to those individuals who we um, identify. You know, our North Star is really just making sure we have people live healthy, fulfilling lives. I mean, that's the whole point of this. Um, When I say it's a partnership, it's grassroots organizations, it's law enforcement, but the biggest component to this is the community. Mm. They are the key they are the answer. And this is where they're, you know, we raise our kids. This is 
our our place. So I really want to, you know, make sure we focus on their needs. Hearing from them is what is my biggest driver for this work. Right. So as you were saying, Ceasefire is working with these um, more grassroots organizations like Love is Stronger, Going Home Too, Everyday Grind. And one of the things that uh, Lionel from Love is Stronger was concerned about was their funding decreasing this year. Because I'm I'm assuming, please correct me if I'm wrong, some of these funds are, are going to this more strategic ceasefire program. Is that a correct assumption? It's partially correct. Um, the city of Portland has different programming and we have invested a significant amount of funding into our intensive case management program into our street level outreach program. So all those organizations had a chance to apply to those RFPs. And so the RFP process is what it is. Um, those organizations who now have the funding won those um, RFPs. And so other organizations have the opportunity coming up um, in the next couple of years to apply for funding as well. Um, so a lot of people, uh, not only Lionel, are facing that funding cliff. And so it is like uh, my job and our city council's job to find sustainable funding for those organizations who are doing this work. Also, the Office of Violence Prevention, they have, um, it's not as great of amount of funding, but they have um, buckets of funding for gun violence prevention initiatives. So anything you can propose, like the ceasefire strategy is like really focused, like you have to follow these you know, the intensive case management uh, mm-hmm. scope of work. You have to follow the street level outreach scope of work. And then the other gun violence prevention funding is for really anything you want to do that can prevent gun violence. Um, so it can be a mentorship program. It could be um, providing daycare for mothers who, you know, need to go to like anything really around um, investing in the community, that pot of funding is there. But this is a great question. And how are we going to um, make this work sustainable? Is the federal government going to continue to fund this work? I sure hope so. This is just as important as law enforcement. It needs to be sustainable for these communities to get services they need. We need to continue to push and make this something that is lasting so we don't have funding cliffs. And I would love to fund all organizations, but that's just not reality right now. Yeah. And, you know, another stat that's been thrown around is that it actually costs the city millions once a body hits the floor after a homicide, you know, like 1.5 million minimum up to 5 million, upwards to 10 million, because that also takes into account not only the processing of going after the perpetrator, jailing them, um, all the things that go into it, the funding of the paramedics, the funding of everything, right? You would think that looking at like, all right, it's going to cost 10 million, you know, five to 10 million per person, it makes more sense to put more funding into things that would prevent us from having to spend that much more money. Um, So I can see why finding those funds is imperative, but also like it doesn't make sense, you know, when you're just thinking about numbers where you're just like, well, that just, I mean, put more money in there. I mean, obviously. Yeah, you're correct. Is it just because it's like, oh, well, that money comes from a different you know, pile of money and that's easier to access and there's just more money there. I think when you don't see something and you're, it's like we're asking for the funding, like say I'm asking for $20 million, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a big ask, right. $20 million for this work. 
um, even though it's a drop in the bucket in every, everybody else's budget. But that's a big ask. $20 million mm-hmm. to fund um, CVI work. When you say CVI, you're saying community violence intervention? Community violence, yep. But when you're like paying for something up front or kind of in the long term, like, you know, it, you really lose track of like what you're, what you're paying for. So if, if the average taxpayer would understand how much a homicide, how much a shooting injury costs them, I think they'd be more apt to be like, okay, let's figure out how we can like make this work sustainable because it affects you, right? It indirectly or directly affects you either way. So um, creating sustainable funding is a huge push in this movement right now. Um, CVI has been around for a very long time. And, you know, some of these folks in, in this work are just starting to like, you saw the, you know, the president do the president's office of violence prevention. Like that is huge, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're hoping from out of that, we will see some some federal initiatives come down and even some state initiatives. It'd be great if the governor would do the governor's office of violence prevention and have folks leading that work. Um who understand the need of the community. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, let's talk about what community violence intervention actually means. Another thing, and I keep bringing up Lionel because he really did educate me as to, you know, what's going on because I've never, you know, you hear about community violence intervention and you're just like, it, it, it sort of makes sense, but it you're just like, I know someone's taking someone out to, to pizza and figure, you know, like that's what it's you think it like is. That. That's it's what you're like thinking, that. you know? No, it's, it's, it's really a relationship. Like, think about if you're like dating someone, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you kind of have that relationship with that person. You are making sure they are okay at all times. They can call you, you pick them up. You, you know, they're going through cognitive behavioral therapy. Like you're making sure that person is okay on all the levels, right? If he, Mm -hmm. if they need the relocation, if their family needs any type of support, it's, it's, there's a lot to it. And our CBOs, POIC, going home to everyday grind, nurture, our safer summers organizations, they work so hard and they have, you can't even describe how many conflicts they might have stopped, right? In the moment. That's why it's so important. And sometimes you can't quantify that information. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to, to put that into perspective. It, it doesn't work without them. Yeah, because they're the boots on the ground and they're the ones who are giving you like actually useful intel aside from the like data that you guys are gathering. Um, I'm curious. Another thing that was brought up was uh, that in this work, something needs to happen in terms of support and resources for the families that have been affected by gun violence. Like Lionel noted that that kind of trauma seeps in and creates more shooters. And is that something that I know Ceasefire is working specifically to target people who could be these shooters, but what about, you know, the future generations within these families because they've witnessed a murder and now they're terrified and now they want a gun, you know? Can you tell me a bit about that? Like what's going on in terms of that aspect of care that is needed? Yeah, so the so the Office of Violence Prevention has um, the Trauma Violence Impacted Families Program, which is TVIF, 
And it has a lot of that wraparound services care for that family at the moment, right? But this is a larger thing than just one program. This is like your schools need to be involved, right? The health department really needs to be involved. All the above, it needs to have like an umbrella over, you know, what are these what are the driving factors of violence? So those need to be like really at the forefront of how we look at our work and those families who are affected, they need services, you know, they needed it before they were affected. Right. right? And, and after, how are we taking care of them? How are you wrapping our arms around them? Right. It, you know, I'm meeting up with a family right after I get off this, who was affected by gun violence this past uh, week. And so just really just listening to them first, but then able to like offer them the services and making sure those services you offer are doing what they say they're going to do. You know, it's like disheartening to hear when someone has reached out and they're like passed around, like, you know, all these different services. It's like, no, that's, this is, you're so creating not, more trauma for them. Yeah, there's not a place right now as of as of today, there's not a single place that someone can go. Like, let's say, you know, their child, their brother, someone, uh, you know, was shot and murdered. There's not a place that they can call in the city and go help, you know, our family there is. A place. is okay, so what, tell me about, there's, tell me about that place. Yeah. So there's community-based organizations, POIC. POIC has the most programs. I think any culturally specific organization, maybe that, and Latino Network. And so we uh, have relationships with Latino Network and POIC to provide those families with specific. Oh, Portland Opportunities Industrialization Center. Just from that yes. name alone, I would have <laughs> never known what it, that does. I, if so, don't, I, yeah. <laughs> I would be like, oh, is it going to teach me how to like work in a factory? <laughs> Portland. Okay. So tell me about Portland Opportunities Industrialization Center. So they have just from like the one piece that I work with them on, they have Healing Hurt People, which is the hospital-based violence intervention program. They have trauma violence impacted families. They have an SLO program, which is street level outreach program, and they have intensive case management. They also have um, county funded programs that like I don't have a lot of information regarding, but I know they're like more wraparound services, but they have, you know, that is a a model people should be looking at and how to help their community, that Latino network, NEA mm-hmm. as well, ERCO, they all have those wraparound services for uh, communities. Right. So it's culturally relevant organizations that people in those communities could reach out to. Is what I'm hearing. Yes. So how's the program doing so far? Has your team been able to gather any data? Like what kind of progress has been made since launching back in June? Yeah, we've made some significant progress around the data, just getting how we identify someone, getting the internal meetings together. And, you know, we did our first custom notification, which is a big deal. When Oakland started Um, ceasefire, they only did three custom notifications in their first year. So we did our first custom notification and it was um, impactful. The individual was open to services and it was well received. So, you know, all programs take time and we are on track for having, you know, I've never seen everyone so engaged, that being community government or organizations working together. Like 
the colleagues who I work with, everyone is just like, they want to see their community do better. It's really refreshing and it's motivating to work in a space with people who are so just like ready to get to work and together. Cause that sometimes we like to work in our silos in government, but with um, like the DCJ, the DA's office, all the organizations we work with, uh, OVP, the community safety division, the mayor, like all those people are so engaged in this work and it's just, you know, we're doing good work. So how soon can Portlanders expect to see change in their communities, you think? I would never give a timeline of how soon you can expect expect to see change. We could see something. That's just, you know, that question is everyone would like to see change tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. But this work takes time. But each individual you affect, you already are seeing change. Gun violence reduction takes three to five years. Mm. to see an actual change. You can see some reduction in one to two years, but you never want to be like, all right, next month, we're probably going to have, nope, uh, you know, never speak in absolutes. But each person, each family we touch, I think that is more impactful than, than anything. Right. So what can Portlanders do to help with the effort? They can ask and push for sustainability for this work, write, harass um, your elected officials that this work needs to be like funded on a larger level. That is something that Portlanders can do to help the work move forward and to support the programs and the people who are doing this work. A lot of those organizations were doing it for free for a really long time. Oh my God. Really long time. And so it's great to be paid for what you do and for your skills. So really just advocate for the people out there doing the work. You might not see them every day, but they're there. One last question, Sierra. I don't know if uh, you seem like you may not be of the right generation, like you might be a little young, but how many times has someone in a meeting said crossfire instead of ceasefire? I never heard that. Really? Crossfire? No one ever said, yeah, no one ever says crossfire. Everyone just says ceasefire like automatically, or is there just like an acronym? I'm just curious. Why, why are you asking that? Because I've never heard Crossfire. Because I feel like there's a certain generation. It was like this this commercial. It was like, Crossfire, Crossfire. Never heard yeah. of it? it. Never heard of it. Trust me. Every time you hear Ceasefire or whatever, there's just like a whole generation that's just going to hear Crossfire. Oh. And then just get really stoked about playing a really dumb game about marbles. So... Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've never heard of Crossfire. That's very interesting. <laughs> Is it, Sierra? Is it really <laughs> interesting? <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Crossfire? Like, I hope not. <laughs> it's not Crossfire. Ceasefire. <laughs> and it's it's going to make Portland a better place. And I am confident in the work and I'm confident in the people who are doing it. It's the right people. And I'm honored. I'm honored to be able to, like, serve the community in this capacity. It's a a very um, special and unique position, and I'm honored to be here. Thanks again to Sierra Ellis for taking the time to explain the important work Ceasefire has taken on. And if you're at all curious about the commercial I referenced, we did throw a link to it in the show notes. But be forewarned, it is an earworm. (laughs) 
That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend, rate, or leave us a review. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's.